Well, good morning. Uh, I'm going to start off today doing something we typically try to do at the first of the year. Um, 2020 kind of slowed everything down. I don't know if y'all remember 2020 um, or you're just trying your best to forget it. Uh, but one thing we kind of like to do is to give you a financial overview um, for each year. Uh, so in 2020, uh, REACH received about $230,000 worth of donations. Um, out of that, we spent $24,000 to be in this building uh, every Sunday. Uh, we spent $93,000 in staffing, one full-time and five part-time. Uh, we paid $20,000 in 2020 and then another 2020, sorry, $20,000 in 2020 and then another twenty already on our property uh, that we own about 250 yards from here off of Old Fayetteville. Uh, we paid ninety. down on the property. We owe less than $100,000 on a piece of property that probably weighs, probably values over $400,000. So uh, that's one way we're using our money. Um, We also gave away uh, in February, we wrote $20,000 worth of checks to local ministries here. We want to um, tithe off of our tithe. Um, so let me list some of those places and glad to explain why and what they are if you don't know who they are when you hear them. Um, they include Mana Ministries, uh, which is a local ministry that we've supported and volunteered at pretty much the whole time we've been here. Lifeline Pregnancy Center, uh, Ratio Christi, actually the local chapter for UNCW and um, uh, Marshall, who uh, moved to Utah and is actually working on campuses uh, in probably some of the most unchristian area in the U.S. And you say, how can that be? It's like 90-some percent Mormons. And I'm not going to get into that if you're unaware that uh, they're a little bit different Jesus than ours. Uh, the Good Shepherd Center, uh, which we've um, served at and loved on. It's a homeless shelter that's right downtown. Uh, Matthew's ministry uh, for the last six years. So there's a ministry that started in Southport, Um, that collects food, that makes food bags, that goes to almost all the schools in Brunswick counties that give a bag of food to go homeless students on Friday that um, don't have money. Um, So we've been delivering um, to um, Leela Middle School even since we've left there for the last four years and been doing it for years. Uh, Thank you that she's not here right now, but Nikki Mole the rock star that makes that happen every week. Uh, Sand Hills Teen Challenge, uh, which is a local ministry to our church back home. Um, Teen Challenge, you've not heard of them. They work with um, people with addiction. Great statistics on success rates that they've had there. Um, And several other smaller nonprofits, not including benevolence. Uh, Add another $10,000 to $20,000 for ministry expenses, and we added the rest to our savings account, um, which uh, reached is doing good, just so you know. Um, And that's because of you. So why is this important? And I'm I'm grateful that I didn't do this in January or February, and I have this for today. Um, Today I'll be handling a text in Mark 12 that has been used to convince people to give more, which is not what I'm going to do with the text. Uh, If you'll jump in there, you'll potentially see where I'm talking about. I believe that giving to your local, I believe in giving to your local church. Period. Without your generosity, reach wouldn't be here. 
Uh, if the ministry of this church has blessed you, it is because people have given their time, talents, and treasures to make that happen. Uh, you may have also noticed one thing when I planted Reach that I determined that we would never do is uh, you've never been or seen or touched a plate in a worship service asking for your money. There's a little box over there that you can um, put your donations in, and we're never going to do anything more than that uh, because uh, we want to trust God and not guilt you. Because if we if we can get your heart, um, you'll invest. If you just think we want your money, sooner or later, you get angry. Just saying. Um, so we want to trust God in what we do, and we're going to keep this church going through that philosophy of trusting God with it. Not that we do not believe in giving or tithing or whatever. That is not today's message. So before I even get into the word, I want you to know that I'm not looking for more of your money. And here's my one thing that I want you to hear today. God is the one who gives you value. Let's pray. God, we need insight. Or the faithfulness we saw in Carly is something that you've asked all of us to be obedient to what you ask. And so, Lord, as we read your word, as we read this interaction of rebuke to the scribes and praise to the widow, I pray that we would see more of your heart for us, more of your heart for us to surrender and trust you completely. So, Lord, let your Holy Spirit do in this room today what I am incapable of doing through my words. Is to win our hearts in favor to the ongoing experience of loving and serving a Savior that died for us. That leads us into more and greater life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark 12, um, 38 through 44, but uh, i like to kind of give you a little lead into what's going on in the rest of this chapter. At the beginning of 12, you get this story that Jesus tells in rebuke to the Pharisees called the parable of the tenants. And he says, you know, this wealthy landowner leaves and he gives his um, farm to Tenants to take care of it. And he goes out of the country and then sends people to collect what is rightfully his, a portion of uh, what is grown. Well, the tenants um, faithfully uh, abuse over and over and over again up until they kill his son. And he tells the Pharisees, which he's telling them, this is the story that they're in. This is the story that they're doing. They abused and killed the prophets. And they're going to murder his son. This is what's happening. This is the picture of what's going on. And he asked them, what should he do? And they were like, oh, you should get rid of them and get new tenants, which is funny. And then he goes into the greatest commandment, which is, in, he says in Mark 12, 28, Jesus answered. The most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I could preach a whole sermon just in that first section there. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And then he deals with this 
potentially unknown. You're like, what's going on? That he's questioned about whose son is the Messiah. And let me just tell you a little bit what's going on. Um, they want, they in their minds want the Messiah to be a son of David, which is going to act like the father, which means he's going to take rule and reign and it's going to come and be the warring king like David was. And Jesus breaks that little story for them and tells them, how, how can he be his son when David himself calls him Lord? It's interesting. There's all these things going on. And then he goes into a rebuke, which is where we pick up our text. In verse 38, it says, And in his teaching, so he'd been teaching other things, but in his teaching, in the temple, he says, Beware of scribes. Now the scribes, if you're not sure what they are, they could interpret and regulate the Jewish laws. They would be like a biblical lawyer, like in the Torah. The, they, they knew the law, they interpreted the law, they were the ones that you could get to kind of manipulate whatever so they could get what they want. That was the scribes. He says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor in the feast, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They're making long prayers not because they want to talk to God and let it be known. They're making long prayers out of pretense. Look how awesome I am. They will receive the greater condemnation. Context is important. You, you can't get to what we're getting ready to read without hearing. This is what Jesus said right before he says the other. Here are these ones that are more interested in what people think they see in them. They want to present this image that, of course, Jesus sees through. See, remember last week when we were talking about Jesus' judgment of the free, fruitless Israel. The tree that looks like it's in fruit, but has no fruit to be. And guess what? The scribes misused their power. They devoured widows' houses. And in this day and age, it was a big deal. The widow and orphan, and not, this is not to discount that it is not also the church's responsibility in our day and age, but in this day and age, it was the church's responsibility to care for the widow and orphan there was no social security there was no other social programs to help them it was the church's job given by god to care for these hurting and lonely because they're they're alone they have no one else to care for them it was their job to do so and the people of the church like the scribes were literally devouring the one person Probably not only them, but one of the people that God had told them to care for. And this wasn't the only occasion. In Mark 7, verse 9, it says, And he said to them, You have a, way, you have a fine way of rejecting the commands of God in order to establish your tradition. And he's talking about the honor of your father and mother, and they're, they're, given this, they're giving license to sons, who were the ones, while they were alive, to care for their parents. It was giving them permission to take what they would use to keep their parents sustained and give it to the church. Which he's rebuking. Like, this is not a good policy. And then Jesus leaves this rebuke. 
And he walks into the treasury in the court of women. This was the furthest place that women could go in the temple. And it, it had, if, if, I'm, if I've read correctly, there's 13 receptacles in this room. And they have these brass horns that had a little funnel that went into these treasury boxes. And you would go in there and give your tribute, your tithe, your offering here at this place. And so he leaves this rebuke. He was teaching in the synagogue and he leaves <laughs> condemning one of the religious elite and walks into this room and sits down. In verse 41, it says, And he sat opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people were putting in large sums of money. Can you imagine this? Jesus sitting in the corner while people are giving their money. He's just sitting I don't know if they're aware that he's there, but he's sitting there watching people putting in their money. Imagine what you think the disciples are thinking. We, I, we can assume that Judas, the betrayer, who we've heard already, is he, he, he takes a little off the top. It's probably like, ooh, Jesus is looking for wealthy donors to bring aboard his, his soon-to-be profitable nonprofit and, and ask for donations to go th- towards the ministry. Um, and there, you know, Judas himself is probably like, oh, yes, Jesus, I, I like Jesus' eyes. He's checking out these people. But you know something? He just says here is while rich people were putting large sums of money, these brass horns going into the receptacle, could you, could you imagine what it would sound like if you threw large sums of coins into this receptacle? I was going to bring the box up here, like, beat it to make an illustration, but I didn't want to move it. But it would make a lot of noise. And can you imagine, he just rebuked the, the leadership of the church. And let me just tell you, usually the leadership, the way the leaders are trickles down into the people. So if the scribes, who are the ones that justify things through the law, are doing these things, they're being fake and phony and wearing these robes and saying long prayers, and they're robbing the houses of the widows. Imagine the people that are there learning from this teaching. And I'm sure they didn't just, you know, like put it as far down in the hole so it didn't make as much noise. I am fairly confident that these wealthy people with their gobs of money... And everybody's... Probably looking around when it hits there. Oh, and I'm sure the disciples are like, oh, maybe him, Jesus. He looks like a good investor into the ministry of Jesus. And they would get looked at and appreciated. And probably everyone in the church would probably go, man, look at this person. For those who grew up in traditional church, Let me give you an equivalent. You may have seen this. Traditional church where they pass a plate, maybe the silver gold, the real shiny gold ones with the velvet on the bottom. And I'm not knocking those. Like it's not a sin to pass a plate, okay? Or the nice wood ones, stained, beautiful. It would be in our day and age, that being rolled by and the guy on the end lays his large check, writes that up. Not folded, not in an envelope, but right side up. So you can see his name and how many zeros. So 
If you know, all it takes in most churches, all it takes is one or two people to know something and the rest of the church knows. That would be it. And Jesus sitting there watching all of these things, noticing the rich. And then in 42, he changes. And this is what you'll see. This is the gospel. The gospel is almost contrary to most of our natural inclinations. It's almost opposite of those. So I'm not saying everything you think you need to think the gospel is opposite of that. But a lot of what we naturally think the gospel is opposite of that. It just, it just is. In verse 42 it says, And a poor widow came and put two small copper coins, which make a penny. This is a lepta, the smallest coin of value. It was valued at one sixty-fourth a denarius. A denarius is a day's wage. The tr- temple tribute that they were supposed to give per year is a half a shekel. I found this online. I, I didn't make up this. A half a shekel is equivalent to 1.48 denarius. So a day and a half's wage is your yearly kind of tax, your tribute to the temple for the upkeep of the temple. And of course, the wealthy were putting in more than that. And here's a woman with one sixty-fourth of one denarius, which it's, you know, you need the half shekel, putting in. And I guarantee you, she wasn't with her two coins. She probably walked over to it, laid them in there faithfully. I mean, like something in here. Because what we're getting ready to read is crazy. In verse 43, it says, And he called his disciples to him and said to him, and they're watching because they're there, Truly I say to you, this woman has put in more than those who are contributing to the offering box. This woman. Because Jesus sees the value differently than we do. See, Jesus sees this, and his whole ministry for those three years is more about helping his disciples be like him so that when he's gone, they have something to carry into. And he's pointing this out to them, and I'm sure part of them are like, what are you talking about? Like, maybe they didn't even see it, what woman, and they're looking at the woman now, and she just gave away everything she owned. So I would say she's not wearing the best clothes. She's not, you know, like, of the highest fashion. Of You know, she just got back from Target with her new outfit. She's probably wearing the same clothes that she wears every day, and that's probably all she owns. And they're like, what are you, how did she give the most money? How in the world did she, because they've been hearing the ringing of all these other coins going in there, and they didn't hear a lot of ringing when her two little coins went in there. Verse 44. For, all, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she has to live on. Most of us feel really good about ourselves when we sacrifice a little bit. When we give a little time, give a little bit of our talents, give a little bit of our treasures. And to be completely honest, and I say this a lot, not when I'm just talking about money, what you put in that box isn't getting you anything. From me or from Jesus. 
If we're putting something in that box to earn your place in heaven, to get Jesus to love you, or to get me to like you more, you're doing it wrong. See, this religious system was broken. (laughs) Very broken in this day and age. But there was still one in the middle of this brokenness that was faithfully giving everything to God. Because remember, it was the church's responsibility. She shouldn't be in this position that she only has these two coins left. And there is a, a law in there where if you're impoverished, you can, uh, you, you can, even if it's supposed to be A, you can give half to keep some for yourself. Like, the church, it should have never been this place that she was in a position that she had to give away everything. Because the church should have been helping her, caring for her, and they weren't. But she put every bit of her trust into God. And what I'm saying to you is not go home and clean out your bank accounts, and that is showing God that you trust him. Because I don't think, I think sometimes, just like when we talked about the healing that Jesus did, if he healed all the time, spitting in people's faces, you know, this is one point that he made. And sometimes... Churches will take advantage of this going, she gave sacrificially, which I think you should. Sacrificially to the purpose of what God is doing. But God is more interested in your heart. And and when we see these two pictures of the person that gave a lot and the one that gave more, they were giving a lot because they wanted people to know that they were giving a lot. They didn't have his heart. That's what Jesus wants, our heart. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Talking about giving. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. There are ministries, just like the $20,000 that we gave away, that you gave to us, to local ministries, there are lots of ministries that are doing things that are benefiting the world. Period. And the church is one of the largest reservoirs, especially the American church, because we are the wealthiest. Wealthiest. I know you don't feel like it. Most of you are like, <laughs> you don't see my bank account. Well, I, I see how we live compared to the rest of the world. In comparison, I think it's if you make over $25,000 a year, her family, you're in like the 96th percentile, the wealthiest of the world. You're like, man, this feels like he's going to ask for more money. I'm not. So here's some lessons that I think this morning that God wants to work on you and me. The widow's lessons. First one is God knows and sees your heart. Just like we talked about last week, He sees through the leaves and into whatever. So hiding behind an illusion isn't going to do you any good because right now, in spite of what other people think about you, God knows. God knows exactly what is going on and the hidden things will destroy you. Let me just, let me back that out. The things hidden in your life are currently, right now, destroying your life. And God is aware of them. And he 
knowing what they are, wants you to release them to him so you can be free. The enemy wants to convince you that people will not accept you nor love you if the truth comes out. So he keeps you trapped in this little thing. When God already knows, he knew sending his son the sinfulness of man. He knew. And over the next two weeks, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about hope lost and hope gained. The second thing that we can learn from this is that God evaluates differently for man. Most of us live our life off the evaluation of man, not the evaluation of God. So we're trying to please these people that don't really matter. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying people don't matter, okay? God matters more is what I'm trying to get at. Just a little memory example for all of us. If, we, if you're out of high school, remember high school. Remember how much power people had on you in those days. What they thought about you, what you wanted to be perceived of. How much influence do those same people have over you right now? None. I, mean, I, I, there, there, I have a friend in town today, Steve. Hey, Steve. Um, he's the only person that I, re, I still from high school that I keep in contact with. He's one of my best friends. But we weren't really friends in high school. I wasn't cool enough for him. But we remember those days of like, you remember being overpowered by someone else's thoughts of you. And let me just tell you, the only way you can break that is remembering that God evaluates differently than man. Because in this picture, we would have never, if Jesus would have never said anything about the scenario, if we were just in the observation room watching this happen, we would not get what he said. Like we wouldn't have, we wouldn't had the same thoughts that he had. We would go, if someone would say, who's, who's the best that comes in this room? Not any of us prior to Jesus would go, oh, that, that woman right there. She, she just very reluctantly came by, threw two little coins in there and left. We wouldn't say she was the greatest giver. The third thing is that God sees what man overlooks. There's, there's things that people in this room have been faithfully doing, loving, serving, guiding other people, and it seems like a thankless job. And it may be. It may be something that you will never get praise in this world for, which let me just tell you, that's probably the best thing that could ever happen to you because the moment you start getting praise for something and feel like, this is why I do it, it robs us of that thing that we do. But God sees all of these little things. God sees when you don't give someone what they deserve. God sees when you invest something in someone that they don't even know that it's you. God sees those moments where you get up when no one sees you and are praying for your children, praying for your family, praying for your city. He sees all these little faithful things that you do. And the last thing is the point from today's message is God is the one who gives you value. Period. Let me just tell you. If we believe that, we would be the most joy-filled people in the world. If you believe right now that God is the one who gives you your value, 
and we see how much he values through what he allowed his son to go through. And we could receive that value and live that value out. We would be the most happy, joyous, humble people ever. This is, this is your work right now. If I could send you home with anything, if you forget everything that I say to you, go home and figure out where your value is coming from. And then switch it to the value that God gives us. Because if we live out of that value system, we've got value from it, it'll change us and everyone that we're around. I'm going to invite our worship team back up. Uh, if you remember the beard, Daniel, for those who have been here, uh, we had a, a family that moved um, to South Carolina to start a home church. Um, their church is literally named Lepta. Uh, because of this coin and their philosophy of their church is being all in. And this is what I believe God's asking of you today. Are, are you really in? Are, are, are you his? Not have you convinced me that you're his or the other people here at Reach that you're his, but are you his? Because this woman has taught us something that we need to learn. She's committed everything in her life to God. There's nothing else that she has. And this is where God wants us today, because if we can get to this place of surrender, there's life on the other end of it. See, what others think is worthless, God gives us value. That's what we need today if you feel worthless connect to a god that gives you value we're going to pray uh, and we're going to worship and i say this a lot at the end of sermons um, we don't put an extra song here to keep you a few minutes longer we put a song here at this moment because i believe the holy spirit is working in you right now and the best time to respond to the Holy Spirit is right now. Not like, because let me just tell you, life is going to hit you in the face. I don't mean literally or prophetically when you walk out of this door. But right now in this moment, you can get some truth that will set you into emotion of experiencing God in a new way today. Let's pray. God, there are those in this room who feel worthless. Who feel that they have no value. And Lord, I pray through the Holy Spirit that you allow them to see the value that you give to your children. And the way we get to be your children is surrendering to you. So Lord, I pray over us in this room that we would break the lie of the world system that keeps us trapped in this perpetual roller coaster. And that we would be freed into that place of understanding our value comes from you. And I pray that we can learn to live out of that value. 
Lord, we need you desperately. We want to be like this woman that gives everything to you, trusts you with everything. Our marriages, our life, our jobs, our finances, our future, our children. That we constantly say, Lord, you, you, please help us trust you today. We pray over this time of worship as we close that you would solidify what you're trying to do in us. We pray these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.